0: UK Motor Talk. Good evening, morning, afternoon, whatever it is, and welcome along to yet another podcast. I'm Mike, and tonight with me I have...
1: Jim, hello, hope you're keeping well.
0: Graham, hello, and uh, hope all is well with you.
2: And I'm Dave, hello.
0: And... It's yet another week. I mean, all of us are sat here with slightly longer hair than we had last time. <laughs> Not all of us. And what's new?
1: Uh, well, what's new with me? I've uh, had to start staying in for uh, a couple of days as my daughter's in uh, one of many school kids that has uh, managed to contract COVID. So we're self-isolating for uh, for that reason. But it's... Um... It is what it is. I suppose we've got some shopping on the way, and it's not all bad. I can work from home, but it's a it's a pain. But hey, we're still here, and she's uh, she's mainly healthy, which is the main thing.
0: Well, the first thing that you said was, "Oh, I might be able to wash the car." Hmm.
1: I did, yeah. although actually, I think I've got some, uh, I've got some lacquer peeling off the wheels. So, I thought now probably a good time. need to take the wheels off and uh, and re-lacquer them, isn't it? Because the car won't be going anywhere for a little while, so I can do that.
0: So do, you could do a full underside detail while you're at it. Get the thing up, <laughs> up on stands. Goes back in July. There's not a lot of point,
1: really, is there? I just don't want any, uh, don't want any excess wear and tear charges on it. That's the aim of the game
0: now. My friend's, he's got a a Mondeo, which he absolutely loves, which he's had from new, in late 2013, and... Um, Is that the one that you borrowed and crashed? That's the one that I borrowed. But worse than that, I was doing <laughs> him a favour, because I was going to pick him up from Gatwick, and I was running so early that I pulled into the services, and then pulled... Out, it was pulling out of the services, and I crashed. Oops. At a sudden, vehicle assisted stop, the car in oh front dear. sort of went, went round the corner down the slip road, and then stopped on the slip road. So, yeah, there was a big bang and, yeah, needless to say. Anyway, he loves his car and uh, he kind of treats it in the same sort of way that you might treat, I don't know, a skip or something, a school bus. And it has all the things that children drop in cars, like sticky bits of whatever it is that... Presumably a hybrid between a raisin and a chewit or something. Do they still make chewits? Anyway, those yeah. and it has that sort of slightly stickiness that you t- you tend to get. And today he's he's employed a valator to give it a good going over. And after five hours' work, it looks pretty much brand new, which is good because it's in doom blue and doom blue looks good when it's polished, not so much when it's not. Um, doom blue, if you're not familiar, is a sort of uh, glossy blue colour. You said it's something like this Spanish royal blue or something, didn't you, Jim?
1: It is, yeah. It's yeah, popular in Spain because it's the king's colour, apparently.
0: Bad, but not particularly uh, popular for resale purposes in the UK. Um, but yeah, this thing looks brand new. Uh, and I think it's a testament to people that, that do this for, for a living because, oh, I don't know, I spent some time valeting cars today and I used to kind of enjoy cleaning them, but to sort out other people's, I don't know, fudge nuggety... Bit stuck in the back seat. Not not for me. I think
1: it can be quite a rewarding profession. It's I, I think for me, I I like cleaning cars and detailing cars, and it. I either want the car to be brand new before I start. So on a, on a friend's Ranger, I spend two days on it, machine polishing it and ceramic coating it, and doing all the details and all the nice little bits and pieces, and get it looking. I think just about as perfect or uh, or as clean as any Ranger in the UK could possibly ever be, uh, it almost seems a shame for him to use it and get it dirty now, but it's it really rewarding, but it's nice to work on a nice car, or at the other end of the scale, you want to work on a mouldy old, crusty, horrible, you know, red car that's faded to pink so you can polish it up and bring it back mm. to a turnaround, <laughs> you, you know, just 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 doing run-of-the-mill, oh yeah, it's three years old, it's a bit dirty around the edges, but it's fine, there's, there's a bit less satisfaction in that, I think.
0: There's definitely a scale here, I mean, you, I, would, I would describe you as a buff, I'm I'm not sure that. It's worse, to be fair. I have me. I I really like having a clean car. I don't like the car being dirty at all. And even if it's an old banger, the inside has to be clean. But I can't say I particularly enjoy cleaning it anymore. And people always say, "Oh, you really enjoy doing this." I I don't. I don't. I'm not interested in doing your car. (laughs) But what about you guys, David? Where are you on the buffy scale? I'm on the take it
2: down to the local pay and play golf club car park and get the nice polish people to do it for me i really really can't be bothered i've done it far too much in the past and they do a nice job and for seven quid i think that's money well spent
3: fair enough i feel exactly the same living in the countryside it has a permanent layer of mud on its lower half and i've got fairly used to that so every so often i just polish the mud (laughs) and wash it off just polish it
2: the only problem is the car washes aren't open at the minute so if you do want a clean car you do have to do it yourself and i have had to do that this last couple of weeks because the thing had so much bird crap on it that it was in danger of eating through to the metal but once they're uh, back in operation they will be um, having my money as quickly as i can throw it at them
0: they'll be standing on your scuttle panel before you know it because there's no better way to reach the roof is there
2: oh Mm. no those swirl marks don't get there by themselves (laughs) that's it
0: you've got to be enthusiastic about your swirling
3: (laughs) yeah by and large you get a very good job for very little money There's some issues about some of these people and what they're being paid. And um, the Human Slavery Act seems to get mentioned quite often in terms of car washes. But my experience has, has been I've used them a number of times. People seem okay. I
0: paid and well, I think it's a reasonably fair price. Uh, and, and for those of you who are into detailing your cars right now, you're thinking, to be honest, you might as well just use a brick to clean your car, might you? You just watch <laughs> somebody pressure washing out a sponge on the floor before they they, they sort of stick that gritty <laughs> up the side of your car. Mm. If you're really, really not into it, then, then just when you get it, or get someone to put a decent coating of something on the top of it, and then just get some spray wax. When you wash it, you can spray it and then Things like birdmuck come off a hell of a lot easier. It makes a big difference in my eyes, but there, there are definitely people that that really are into their cars, but just prefer driving them to cleaning them. I definitely prefer driving it to cleaning it, but I just don't like having it dirted. I think that's because I am somewhere on the spectrum when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to to this kind of thing, and I just generally just don't like things being dirty or disordered.
1: You prefer the end result rather than the effort that has to go into it, whereas I actually quite enjoy the effort that goes into it as well.
0: Yeah, you wait till your grandson
3: uh, elects in the snowy weather to take the snow off the bonnet of your car with a shovel. Oh um, no 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 no
0: no 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 <laughs> no 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 no!
1: I do remember when my uh, my little sister came in once and, uh, and announced to my parents that she'd uh, she'd done them a drawing, and she was holding a rock in her hand. My parents sort oh. of looked and "Where on your car?" And uh, and she had she'd taken a rock to the uh, the bonnet of the car and the uh, the rear tailgate on the car and drawn some uh, some quite to be fair some quite pretty pictures, but uh, yeah. So it needed a, a front and a back end respray. Then shortly after that, my mum took one side off the car against a lorry, uh, and then a lorry took the other side off the car. So within the space of a year, it had a complete respray. So it uh, it looked quite good by the end of it.
0: <laughs> did it did it age at the same rate across the rest of the car?
1: Uh, it did, to be fair. Yeah, it uh, it all looked uh, it all looked fairly good and, and fairly uniform.
0: Wasn't Fiat red then?
1: Uh, no, jade green metallic. And then oh, the, uh, any the... car geeks know what jade green is from or what manufacturer.
0: Mm. I would say VW, isn't it? Spot on. Mm. There we go. Was that,
1: was that a nugget of automotive information that Graham and David didn't instantly have?
3: I reckon <laughs> David's being kind. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Da- David's <laughs> indulging you.
2: No, I was just thinking back to the Fiat Red that uh, basically within three years is pink. No matter what you do with it, you can put as much wax coating or ceramic on as you like. It's going to go pink, regardless of whether it's metal, plastic, rubber, whatever. It's, you've got a pink car at the end of your tenure.
3: Didn't most British Leyland cars do exactly the same thing? ford radiant
0: pink was like that
1: a friend of mine had a cinquecento in uh, in that red color and it was uh, it was obviously it had gone quite pink so i thought i, I can polish that up i'll uh, i'll get that looking red again and um i'd gone around it and polished it a few times and it came up a really 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 nice pink red color <laughs> and uh and then i thought oh well, I'll, I'll pop um i think i had some more to glim um it was almost like a solvent base probably a, a precursor to ceramic coating uh, this stuff that you put over the top of it, and, and as I put it on, it just removed all of the polish and, all, and it just turned it pink again. As I put this, you know, this final, I'll just put a layer of that on just to make it look nice. You know, I'd done it all by hand it was before I'd invested in the machine polish or anything. i spent hours on the bloody thing and, uh, and did the bonnet and it just faded to pink, like o- almost in front of my eyes. You know, it was like watching solvent dry off. And, uh, so I had to do the bonnet again and then just left it at that and
2: called it a day
0: pick your battles mm. it's always a bit like the old tea cut where you end up tea cutting the car and more of the paint comes off on the cloth then ends up looking shiny on the car <laughs>
1: pledge is always good for that if uh, if you've gone too far
0: pledge mm. gives it a, a nice It doesn't last long
3: but very dangerous stuff to cut in the uh, in the hands of virtually everybody
0: <laughs> you can do so much damage so quickly says the one who's quite happy to let the guys with the rocky sponge <laughs> down the side of his car <laughs> the
3: age of my car doesn't matter too much
1: shall we slide smoothly from uh, clean cars into dirty cars because we've uh, we've had a bit of extreme e news this week haven't we
0: yes. We had a bit of Extreme E in Top Gear as well, actually, if you guys saw it. Not sure. It looks like an absolute hoot.
1: That did look brilliant. And although, to be fair, I'd, I'd have, much as I'm a petrol head, if, uh, if you turned up to, uh, to that filming day and somebody said, right, you can have a go in the car or the jetpack, I think I'd probably have a go in the jetpack, to be fair, because that, that looked quite
0: cool. So I have problems staying the right way up on my feet. So I'm, I'm pretty sure attached to a jetpack and in the air, that's going to be a big problem. So I just well, power they probably myself into had the
1: gyroscopes floor. and and bits and pieces like that that would have helped you with it. I'm sure.
0: I think I need a lot of help. I need a gyroscope just standing <laughs> up. This is a problem. I, I think it looks great. And there, there's some big names in Extreme, aren't there?
1: It looks superb. And obviously we've uh, we've spoken about it a bit before, but I think for uh, for the series to get a mention on a program like Top Gear, who's uh, I would think the the viewing figures and the popularity Seem to be climbing back up again, but it was uh, no, it was good to uh, to see it getting that kind of exposure, and it's uh, it looks like it will be a riot, even if the stages will be a little bit short at ten odd miles.
0: It does only well. I say it, they only run as long as a a Tamiya car does, don't they? You can run for twenty minutes or something.
1: Yeah, but everyone had hours of fun with those, and the and the runtime never put you off, and it never dampened your enthusiasm for it, did it? It just you bought more batteries and charged them up, and when it was charged up, you went out again, didn't you?
2: Could they not take a leaf from the old um, Formula E races where they sort of swapped cars halfway through? Surely, if the if the cars aren't capable of doing anything longer than about twenty, but then again, I suppose perhaps they're going to do an awful lot in there twenty minutes off road. So, you know, it's all going to be all action, all bouncing around, all going all over the place. So, that would lead me to think that twenty minutes is probably the the sweet spot for it.
1: This is long after to a stage, isn't it? Yeah, I think. Well, if you're bouncing around and having lots of fun and getting messy, yeah, twenty minutes is. Probably most people's limit,
3: to be fair, isn't it? I was intrigued with Volkswagen bought the was it the IDR to uh, Goodwood. And, you know, it was a neat, compact, and very competitive car that took three Arctics to keep it running. One of the Arctics was just purely a charger. No wonder it went up Pike's Peak so bloody
1: fast. <laughs> Was it a diesel generator by any chance? Uh,
0: Yes, I bet it had a very big silencer on it. This is part of the whole thing. Supposedly it's designed to draw attention to to parts of the world that have been damaged by climate change and everything else, and so the the hydrogen-powered charging... Stations and all that kind of jazz, which is good because they to need to be charging quite a bit. Worthwhile aims,
1: I think. They said the uh, the aim of the series was to be carbon negative, wasn't it? Never mind carbon neutral. It was to just purely by existing, the entire sport removes carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. So that's uh, that could only be a good thing, surely.
0: Mm. And there's some big names behind it, aren't there? Apart from Katie off of Katie's amazing machines. Well, it's Jensen Button's in there. Carlos Sainz is in there, isn't he? Lewis Hamilton in there as a team owner, I mean, anyway. Nico yeah, Rosberg so
1: was a team owner as well, yeah, and and I yeah. think they both claimed they didn't know anything about the other one entering as well. Whether you quite believe that or not, I'm not too sure. But hopefully, we see a, a bit of a rekindling of that rivalry because that was quite a needly rivalry. So that was a, that was entertaining to watch.
0: It should draw in a, a decent a decent crowd. You think? Well, I say crowd. I mean crowd online these days. I mean, let's face it.
2: Well, talking of that, I noticed. Just today actually itv have been signed up here in the uk uh, other tv stations are available but not if you want to watch this although apparently sky sports <laughs> is also mentioned as is the bbc so i think it's probably worth worth keeping an eye on. i think itv's partnership does look like it's fairly fairly comprehensive so we should get to see something of it without having to pay the the channel formerly owned by Mr Murdoch for the privilege.
0: It, it looks like you might actually get a proper chance to see it because the, I think the problem with a lot of the motorsport on ITV is it gets buried and tucked out of the way, doesn't it? Down on ITV4, and I, I don't think it necessarily gets a mainstream audience. So. Who knows?
1: I quite like ITV4 because on a, on Touring Car Sunday, you just turn it on at 9 o'clock in the morning and it's just coverage mm. of whatever's going on on the track. So it's it's one of those channels you can just turn it on and leave it on for about 12 hours and watch it all day.
3: Yeah,
0: suppose so. I say.
3: I remember having a long conversation with a, a lawyer that uh just left the BBC to go to ITV4 and he was assured, this was some years ago, but he was assuring me that uh, the uh, desire behind setting up of ITV Four was to make it a major motorsport channel, so that most motorsport fans would choose that as their preferred channel. I don't think it's quite worked out that way,
0: but it does do some very good motorsport. I couldn't tell you what's on ITV Four apart from motorsport, though. The Sweeney, the professionals. The
1: Sweeney. I don't think there is anything on apart from motorsport. It's, it's repeats, oh. yeah, it's repeats and British touring cars, isn't it? Speaking of, uh, of British touring cars, so moving on from Xtreme E, we've had uh, quite a bit of touring car news over the last couple of weeks as well, haven't we? The end of quite a few eras, it, it would appear. There's uh, there's no Dan Camish this year, is mm. there? Which is um, a bit of a shock and uh, and quite unfortunate, really. Well, very unfortunate.
0: Mm.
3: It's hardly retiring age.
1: Was it a sponsorship lack of money issue? Was it? Or I mean, he's uh, he's been out and about in a, uh, in a Porsche. Over the last week or so, so he's not uh, he's not stopping racing full stop by any stretch of the imagination, but just no more touring cars. I mean, was it was it connected because there's no um, uh, relationship anymore between Honda, Halfords, UASA, Team Dynamics, etc. They've uh, they've all parted ways as well, haven't they?
3: Yes, they, uh, that certainly seems to be the case. And one wonders where some of this sponsorship money is sort of going because some UK certainly some of the national motorsports seem to be starved of funds for 2021 are the viewing figures not good enough to justify the investment of the money that's been going in there touring cars is a good example of that there's been a lot of money going in there
0: now there ain't i think a lot of businesses are watching their investments at the moment aren't they really when it comes to 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 sponsoring an event or a sport or a team or what have you is it going to get in front of enough eyes are you going to get enough exposure probably not at the moment i would say i think a lot of people are I say a lot of people. I, th- I think a lot of companies are just focusing their efforts online or possibly via other different media, rather than supporting a team or what have you. I know that um, Hamish said that he was he was disappointed to be leaving and was very thankful to um, Dynamics for for sort of giving him his his big break, as it was. But it'd be a shame to see him not on the grid this year.
1: Yeah, I mean on the on the sponsorship thing, I suppose it, it depends on on how closely related your your company is to motorsport and racing in general isn't it you know i think we've seen in formula one the the big car companies are the the big sponsors these days aren't they the the manufacturers bankroll the teams unless you uh, unless you make sugary energy drinks in a can there's got to be a relevance there it's it's not quite win on sunday sell on monday but you know looking at the honda civic it's it's sponsored by I think pretty much every logo that I can see on the car is is something to do with cars. You know, it's, it's certainly not sponsored by Woolworths or uh, or HMV these days or MTV from back in the day or Fag Packets. You know, I know that's uh, that's been banned, but you know you. A cigarette company didn't sponsor motorsport because it helped improve its product or it was tied to its product, did it? It was just uh, it was just good exposure. Does having the Halfords name on the side of a touring car, does that enhance Halfords reputation as, as knowing what they're doing when it comes to cars? Yes, it, it certainly does.
0: I'm sure it does.
1: Whether Marlborough are any good at cars or not has, has no bearing on whether you choose to smoke them or not.
0: Cars or cigarettes? Well,
1: both. It's, uh, it's probably quite an easy decision for a big company, isn't it? They, they look at their bottom line and, oh, we're in the red, or we're not making as much money as we need to this year, so where can we save 10, 20, 30, 50, 100? I mean, British touring cars, what does it cost to go racing there for a year? A lot, a million pounds,
2: a lot of money,
1: something like that. Very easily, you can spend uh, you can spend a huge amount of money, and um, yeah, if you can't see a direct increase in sales for it, then uh, you'll swiftly knock it on the head.
0: And Gordon Shedden back in then as a result.
2: Mm. It'd be interesting to see whether they uh, they tell him to lay off on the sort of argy bargy a bit in order to save money on replacing <laughs> panels and bits and pieces because that was the thing that I, I always have loved about BTCC. You know, there is no quarter given. You know, any any. Anyone can go anywhere, do anything, drive into anyone. There'll be lots of sort of waving of fists and middle fingers at each other, but by the end of it, it's all okay. Right, I'll oh, see you in a half an hour. We'll do it all again. You know that that was always the lovely thing about BTCC. And if um, if they are looking at sort of pulling the belt in a couple of notches, <laughs> I wonder if they're all just going to be studiously avoiding each other now.
1: That might be the idea. But then, uh, yeah, they, they have some good scraps on track, and then uh, maybe the odd scrap in the pit lane afterwards as well. But oh, yes. then generally, they're all uh, they're always friends after it but uh, just to uh, to finish off on Touring Girls I think uh, our good friend Murray summed it up best didn't he, when, uh, when scrapping away I'm going for first St Clement and I think that's uh, <laughs> still one of my, my all time favourite classic. bits of commentary
0: that was so quick wasn't it if you've not seen that, google it any series that gives us that
1: bit of commentary has got to be worth watching
3: it's rather like Murray commenting on uh, Barry Sheen when he overtook I think Mick Doohan I think it was uh, with a two-fingered salute, and Murray's comment was uh, was something like, oh, he's, he's waving him past.
2: <laughs> Talking of Murray Walker, we can't uh, let this opportunity go by without saying again how sorry we all were to... To note his passing at the ripe old age, it must be said, of ninety-seven. But um, there's a big hole in the schedules now, and there's a there's a presence that uh, is being felt by its absence. And you know, he was a man who we all admired, looked up to, enjoyed his. <laughs> Sometimes less than accurate commentary, but always entertaining, always insightful, and uh, always hugely entertaining, as I say. And um, regular listeners will know we did do a a special edition of the podcast to reflect on Murray's um, sad passing, which uh, dropped about a week a week or so ago, not long after he uh, he died. But uh, if you want to go back and listen to our collected thoughts and our memories of the man, it is available to download in your podcast app.
1: Well, I think he was just a, uh, a gem of a man, wasn't he? And uh... To uh, to carry on the sombre mood of the uh, the podcast this week, and, and hopefully not to bring you down too much, there was uh, there was more sad news. Another gem of a human being has uh, has departed. As uh, Sabine Schmitz lost her battle with Queen cancer. Queen of the Ring, and uh, mm. what uh, what I mean, she she was just uh, you know she she was on Top Gear. Uh, of course, I think, you know, gained a lot of, um, you know, sort of household famousness uh, after that uh, that episode. And I tell you something, I do that lap time in a van and uh, and she, what was she, nine seconds off or 10 seconds off or something. And uh, mm. especially when you put put into perspective, I think, what was the naught to 60 time of the van that she did? It Was it 21 seconds or something like that? 21 weeks and and just to 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 haul that thing around the nürburgring in 10 minutes was uh, was absolutely insane I've been flicking back through and watching her um you know some more serious videos of her racing around the Nürburgring and and it's it's like she's uh she's snuck up onto one of these novice track days but actually she's a, she's a professional or you know everybody else on the Nürburgring is is computer controlled and she set the the AI to zero you know amateur she she just she just makes them all look absolutely ridiculous, like they're standing still. But when you watch the uh, the videos of her doing the the ring taxi or you know the the more media orientated things, taking people around the track, etc., just her, her enthusiasm and and her personality, and just what what an absolutely special human being she was, and, and just lived her life doing what she wanted to do and, and enjoying herself. So she'll uh, she'll be very sorely missed,
0: for sure
2: very much so very much so she's very good value on top gear very good value on top gear she i think there was uh, an episode where I, I i think i'm right in saying that she ended up Presenting, or at least being part of the German version, because when they did the sort of driving yeah, one yeah. car on top of another one, uh, sort of <laughs> international thing with them and the Aussies, yeah, she was she was on very good form there as well as I remember. That's another one to go back and try and find on YouTube or or any episode of Dave that may be passing at any point in the next two weeks. I should imagine.
1: Yeah, it'll probably be on quite a bit, won't it?
3: Any chance to see her performing on the on the the, the old Nurburgring, the Nordschleife? She's just staggering. just made everybody else look like children. You know, it's just there's n no, there was no competition. No competition. Against serious heavyweight professional drivers who thought they uh, they were masters of their craft and she just blew past so many people.
1: Just to highlight Sabine's talent on the uh on the Nürburgring if uh, if you have access to it I think it's uh it's floating around on YouTube as well have a look at the video where Martin Brundle gets his Nürburgring license because you know if you want to go motor racing in uh, in this country or internationally or in uh higher up series or in Formula One you know there's a series of Tests you have to do. There's a series of, you know, there's a level of experience you need and things like that. But the the Nurburgring racing license is is another thing all in and of itself. It's you know you can be a uh, a multiple. You know, Grand Prix podium standee You can have won Le Mans a couple of times, but Martin Brundle still had to go and and do his Nurburgring driving test, so to speak. And during watching that program, you know, it was it it really highlighted what a uh, what a challenge the Nurburgring is. You know, even to somebody like Brundle, who's driven, you know, Le Mans cars at two hundred and forty odd miles an hour in the middle of the night in the hacking rain and uh, and got on with it. He he said the Nurburgring was just another another challenge altogether, which I think just further highlights Sabine's talents behind the wheel. And, of course, one of Brundle's Le Mans teammates, Johnny Dumfries, we've uh, we've lost him as well this week, haven't we?
0: It's not been great, it 2021, is. has it?
1: Let's no, be honest. No, 20, 20, <laughs> 2021 sucks, to be fair. It's, uh, it's just picking up where 2020 left off, really, isn't it?
3: Johnny Dumfries was uh, just 62, which is no age at all to uh, to pass on. But he had his brief spell in Formula One. Certainly his uh, 1988 Le Mans win was was the highlight of his career but he was a very very good racer a very competent racer everybody speaks very highly of him and uh, speaks very well of him very likable
2: man apparently yeah and you mentioned Senna there uh, he was a contemporary obviously of Johnny Dumfries and Senna the man himself would have been 61 two days ago which is quite a quite a take-a-back moment really to think that the man would that age I mean that's it's almost half his lifetime away had he lived that he died he was 34 when he died so he's coming up on almost double that it's um that's quite a sobering thought really to think that that was so long ago we've we really have lost some greats over the years um, some of them doing what they loved some of them sadly unconnected but um I'm sure we mourn them all one other just to just to sort of round off the uh the roll call of 2021 so far of course Hannu Mikkeler Passed away mm-hmm. uh, a few weeks ago, and um, you know he was one of the flying fins of, of days of yore. Very, very talented man. He he used to make the uh, the Audi Quattro sing. You know that famous. Everyone goes on about the five-cylinder Quattro noise, and he was a man he knew how to play that thing very well. He he was um, a very talented man. One of a breed, obviously from Finland, where just popping to the shops is uh, equivalent to a rally stage in most of the rest of Europe. And um, again, I think we um, we 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 don't touch on the rallying quite so much. It might do us do us well to look back on his life and those of uh, some of the fortunately still around drivers as we go through the year. You know, perhaps with a view to looking back on his life and career, and uh, we could expand that. Perhaps
0: mm, I think maybe a quattro sing and an escort dance. Really, I think <laughs> a of true. Yes. It just some absolutely incredible, incredible driving, and we've said it before know, yeah, rally drivers—they're—they're a, they're a different breed, sort of superhuman in their in their reflexes and reactions. And it's a joy to be able to watch someone pedal a car through a stage in the way that they do.
1: I'd be quite fascinated to see actually rally drivers versus circuit racers on on maybe somewhere like the Nurburgring, because we've all seen the video of when. Colin McRae and Martin Brundle swap cars for the day. Yes, uh, I think what's telling about that footage is I don't think you see anything at all of Martin Brundle driving a rally car because I think he just summed it up by saying, I was absolutely nowhere and that was just embarrassing to watch. Let's let's have a look at Colin in the Formula One car. <laughs> and, uh, and he got on with it and, by all accounts, was pretty much bang on the pace. And I think when Sebastian Loeb had a go in a Red Bull, he was, again, pretty much bang on the pace. Yeah, um, indeed and the uh, the rallying i think the it's it's that art of, of chucking the car into the corner and it's it's blind it's dark it's foggy it's whatever and you're not not quite 100% certain of what's on the other side of the corner or what's on the other side of the uh, the brow of the hill i think that's the the bit that really gets people I see there's a famous rallying name from the uh, from the past Mitsubishi they uh, they seem to be um following the the ethos of, uh, of a guy I used to work with who um suddenly decided one day he was going to leave his wife and, uh, and that was it. So he phoned up all of his mates and said, do you want to come round and buy buy the car, buy the jet ski, buy the this, that, the other. He, he spent a couple of days selling and auctioning off all his toys and then uh, and then <laughs> off out of the country for, uh, for a couple of years until it had all died down. I think uh, Mitsubishi seem to be doing the same thing, don't they? They're, they're auctioning off Everything right, right down to the UK number plates, aren't they? So, I mean, if that's uh, if that's ever a sign of you're leaving the country and never coming back again, if you're selling your UK number plates, you're uh, you're not coming back again, are you? But there's uh, there's quite a nice uh, Tommy Mackinnon edition Lancer Evo six on there, which is, um, is. Al- always a car I've uh, I've lusted after. I think that's the first lot actually, and that's that's probably the only lot you need to be fair out of it all.
0: I'm quite sad about this because. I don't think Mitsubishi make fantastic cars. I'm gonna throw this throw this out there now. I think that their normal range of cars were okay and I think that's part of the problem. They were they were okay cars. But the fast ones the fast ones were interesting and exciting.
1: The fast ones gave you that that aspiration. You know, when I when it I is. passed my test and was looking around for a car to buy you know do I do I borrow the parents car or do I buy my own or whatever else you do you know one of the cars I looked at was a Mitsubishi Colt purely because oh well it's 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 got the same badge that uh that Tommy McKinnon's car's got on the front of it mm. so if they make the Lancer then the Colt must be a brilliant car and and I looked at the Colt and and almost aspired to it as much as you can aspire to a Mitsubishi Colt but i suppose at the age of 17 you aspire to whatever set of wheels you can get your hands on don't you but they had that that set up quite well and that you know they have come out with some really exciting cars over the years but not so much in the last few years
2: unfortunately well for every lancer evolution 9 there's the charisma i will uh, oh. point out that that was the most <laughs> probably the most phoned into by the sale of goods act i should imagine that car was <laughs> it. the it's nissan sunny the one thing it lacks is charisma
3: mm. when they brought the charisma out, uh, I was invited to uh, be the backseat driver by the inspector uh, of a team entered in the London Paris economy run and it was it was an unremarkable car but a quite remarkable weekend. The husband and wife team that had won their way through the regional heats to be able to compete I think with about 30 teams or something uh, and I ended up driving the car which they were supposed to drive back to try and get to the ferry and after a little while i realized his wife was staring at the back of my neck and <laughs> she said to me uh, i've never let him go over 70 i was pressing on because it was either that or we we missed the ferry and if we missed the ferry we'd have to pay for the thing uh, rather <laughs> than take take the free birth which uh, by that stage Mitsubishi had already paid for. It. This
0: sounds like a remarkably dull challenge for a very dull car. Was well, that
1: drive from here to there as economically as possible?
3: That was exactly so and you and you got a brand new one if you did. The Mitsubishi
1: Dreary.
2: You finally gave the car its much missed charisma.
3: <laughs> Any car manufacturer that's happy for me to uh, eat and drink and, uh, and sleep at their expense in the Georges Sank in, uh, in Paris, you know. It doesn't get much better
0: than that, five-star hotel. So if you're listening to this podcast in time, go to autoauction.co.uk and have a look and see. I think that you're always either a Evo fan or a Scooby fan. And for me, I was always an Evo fan. And I think partly because it was the first proper car I had on Gran Turismo 2. And I spent all the money on it. It was yellow.
1: Yeah, yeah. Grand is most definitely got a lot to answer for, but I, definitely does. I kind of liked. I did kind of like both. To be fair, I mean, with with a slight preference to uh, to an Impreza. Um mm. You know, I, I used to work at a Subaru dealership, and uh, and I was always a Colin McRae fan rather than a uh, Tommy MacKinnon fan. But if uh, if uh, if I won a few hit a few numbers on the lottery, then uh, I think to be fair, I would have a, a Lancer Tommy MacKinnon edition and an Impreza P one. Sat in the corner of the barn. That would uh, that would be quite nice. I'd like to have those parked next to each
0: other. I don't think I could turn down a P1. I have to say, I think that that's a, a beautiful car. But then, Subaru. I was there an endangered species in themselves, aren't they? You think about how many cars they're selling across Europe. If it's a thousand cars, it's just yeah. It's not. There's not enough there to to keep them in the UK. And I, I think potentially they could disappear too.
1: As much as Mitsubishi have said, the uh, the UK is not really worth it. We're gonna. We're going to retreat to Europe. Yeah, I think Subaru are probably in danger of, of pulling out of Europe and the UK and, and well, the entire Western world, really. I don't, I don't know how successful Subaru are in America, but I I could see them just retreating back to uh, Japan and Asia and and focusing on there, really, but... They don't. Uh, they don't have Colin hooning their cars around, and they're not plastered in tobacco advertising. So the uh, the fizz has kind of gone out of them a little bit, hasn't it?
2: Well, that, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, it's, they've taken away the emperor's new clothes. It's underneath. It's like, is that it? You know, <laughs> that's, all they're making is. Four. I mean, they're four by fours. That was the other thing. Mitsubishi were fantastic you know the shogun or pajero in other parts of the world which is renamed for reasons that you will have to look up because we're a family podcast <laughs> that was a fantastic car the shogun i got to drive one of the one of the more recent ones and whilst it it, it was quite the antithesis of the other four wheel drive vehicles that they were making that would get you pulse racing this thing had the feeling that it would basically go and keep going until it ran out of fuel or it reached a one in one gradient that it really just couldn't climb it was invincible Feeling it was it was everything. You can see why people buy these, and with um, respect to our Land Rover owning chums, you can see why people bought them over Land Rover every day. Of the reliability week because mm. because they worked and they would keep working.
1: Subarus for a, a good chunk of the population are uh, are much the same. You know, aside from the the exciting Imprezas and and Legacy spec Bs. You know, a, a Legacy is an estate car is uh, is a workhorse. And uh, and at my old place, we had a. A lady brought to car and I think, because a headlight bulb had gone out. So we, so we looked at it, oh, here's one of ours. Said, oh, we haven't seen you for a while, you know, where where do, where do you get it serviced? You know, why don't you bring it back to us for service, if you don't mind me asking. Service? Yes, well, when you bring it every year and we do, you know, an oil and filter change. What's that then? <laughs> well, what I just said, you know, you bring it in, we change the engine oil, we change the filter, we, we give the car a once-over, make sure everything's okay, you know, replace anything it needs replacing. Oh, oh! I don't know anything about that. When was the last time you had the car serviced? Well, I've never had it serviced.
2: And I bought it's, it from you, it's, you idiot. It, it's eleven <laughs> years old.
1: Yes, yes, it's been great. Never let me down. <laughs>
2: yeah, right, a okay. and buy those and, things.
1: And, and, it, and it was eleven years old, and it had done something like ninety thousand miles on the original everything. And it proves that servicing is a con. <laughs>
0: <laughs> De- definitely appeared on, on a used car sales lot somewhere, As sadly the previous owner lost the service history. But has only yeah, been maintained exactly. at a Subaru dealership.
1: One careful lady owner, exactly, yes. maintained regardless of cost. You know, I have it serviced every ten years, whether it needs it or not.
2: Mm. Additionally, was not being used by a vet to go up and down country tracks. They are very, very popular with vets. There's a couple of them round here who go out to the sort of the farmland and the uh, the racing. Well, not the racing stuff, but there's there's quite a few sort of studs and horse places around this way, and. Um, you often see coming in or out of the driveways. There's a, a slightly battered, usually green-looking, ten-year-old Subaru Forester and/or Legacy fancy of some a Forester. sort. Forester. I
0: read uh, there's something about them.
2: Almost bought one. It's an Impreza in a <laughs> yes. in a more suitable body shop. the Thing that put me off was the 540 pounds um, yearly VED. And, that's and there's no lot. way in the world I was going to pay that, not for that. Mm. But what fun! It's it's a Q car. I mean, the people know what it is. It's got a great big scoop on the bonnet, but it it does blend in the original ones really really did sort of blend in if you could find another way of ram inducting the engine air into the intercooler on the top by getting rid of the uh, the big giveaway on the bonnet then that would make it even more of a sleeper i think front mount
0: intercooler somewhere
1: yeah i think the the legacy spec b was uh was always like that If you, if you needed a way of transporting Five people and a couple of bales of hay from here to anywhere in the country quicker than pretty much anything else on the road, <laughs> then uh, the legacy spec B was, was the car for you. The uh, the only downside to it was the fuel economy. So I took a legacy, uh, yeah, just a normal one, you know, a, a two litre automatic to uh, on a road trip to Norfolk. And I think I reset the trip computer, reset the cruise control, and, and Norfolk is nice and flat, as we know. So it was a nice, steady throttle at seventy miles an hour, and and I think at that speed it was averaging eighteen to the gallon, or or something absolutely insane. Ouch. They uh, they just weren't very good on fuel. But um, no, the uh, the the spicy ones were certainly a good car.
0: But they won't bring the BRZ over here, or BRZ, depending on which way you want to say it. Which is disappointing. And they sold less than a thousand cars last year. So. Although they tell us they're committed according to the press release, I guess we'll have to see. It'd be a shame to lose them as well, I think. 1,000 cars
3: a year is quite a reasonable number when you think that Lancia pulled out when they had, I think, seven cars they sold in their last year.
1: Of course, seven's not good. I I think if you were a car dealership and you sold seven cars in a year, you'd be in trouble, let alone a manufacturer, wouldn't you? But uh, I I think it it kind of points to a bigger problem when um, Subaru have a Toyota... GT86 available. You know, it's exactly the same car. Yet they, they don't manage to sell too many of them, and the the GT86 has been quite successful for Toyota, hasn't it? So I think it it probably points to a bigger issue with um, the size of the dealer network. You know, I, the nearest Subaru dealership to us is. Is what an hour and hour and a bit's drive away, and then beyond that, you're mm. you're a good couple of hours beyond that, aren't you? You know, if if the dealer network's not there to to sell them and support them and sell them to local people, then uh, then you tend not to sell too many, unfortunately.
2: But if you've got a BRZ, you just take it to your Toyota dealer they just get the parts in that are that are different to the uh, Toyota 98% of the car's going to be the same underneath apart from the badges. Well exactly. But people don't think like that.
3: The 3000 GTO which was uh, I think early 90s. I know there's a very very fine one of those in Lewis. uh which I often see parked up and it's it's that was a spectacular supercar in its day and very affordable and incredibly quick because I think it was, if I remember rightly, three liter twin turbo.
2: That's it. Yep, we've got one of those down the down the road from us. It's a Japanese import, as quite a lot of them tend to be, mm. as are sort of about eighty percent of all that era Supras as well. But mm. yeah, astonishing thing. I think it was sold in the states as a was it a Dodge or some? I can't remember. They um they sold an American version of it. That much I do know. I'll I'll do my homework and look it up. Mm-hmm.
1: Again, the, uh, the GTO was, uh, was one of those cars that, that kind of got famous because of Gran Turismo, wasn't it? Because it was quite affordable as an entry-level car, and then you could just whack a silly turbo on it and get it up to about 900 brake horsepower and win a load of races and build up some cash and buy other things. But you tended to fall in love with that car because you drove it so often.
0: Mm, I'm trying to think what else it was in now. Was it in Need for Speed Underground? I can't remember. Juiced, maybe. Who knows? But it was all that sort of era of racing and modification games, wasn't it? The more your car was buried up, the more points you got, all that kind of stuff.
2: It was one of those cars that um, benefited to its detriment, but from having the pop-up headlights removed in a facelift, which probably coincided with pedestrian safety or oh <laughs> something like that. But um, it, it's an ugly-looking thing with the normal headlights on, the um, which it got later in its life. It was a Dodge Stealth. There you go, Dodge Stealth, mm. I was right very stealthy and that nobody really knew it existed by the sounds of it but completely pop-up, uh, under the radar pop
1: up headlights it's it's just a simple fact that pop up headlights make any car better don't they that's yes. that's just irrefutable
2: absolutely yes. the mx5 lost a fair bit of its character certainly in looks when it was yes. um, version 2 and it lost its pop up headlights the pop up headlights made it so cute and uh, if you want to see evidence of that just watch uh, the original cars pixar film You'll see what I mean. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: I always liked pop-up headlights because I had them on the, uh, on the MR2 and you could wire up uh, a kit so you could wire up a sleepy eyes. You could have the pop-up lights up ever so slightly so it just like the co- looked like the car was literally sleepy. But you could also wire in the, the two motors independently. And what I used to like doing was flicking the switch and uh, when somebody let you through a gap... I'd flick both the headlights on and then as I went through, just turn off the left-hand motor so the car winked at them as he went past them. <laughs> the, the look on their faces when you went there, it just made people smile. And uh, and any car that can do that is certainly a good thing.
3: David, you mentioned uh, Dodge. I saw in a local Sainsbury's car park, bizarrely, uh, over the weekend, a brand-new Dodge Charger, which Ooh. was running a 393 V8. Now You were talking about low petrol consumption. He just blipped it to get out of the car park and that was probably three gallon of fuel just getting out of the car park. Nice motor car, but I, w- I wouldn't want to pick up the bill for that. But yeah, it sounded wonderful.
2: An example of cars working better in their uh, in their native market, very much so. Yeah, they're they're amazing. Mm-hmm. These when we were in the states a couple of years ago, there were there were a fair few. Even even in um, clean living San Francisco, there were a fair few of those rumbling around the streets, and um, you, you always knew they were coming because there was the sort of the rumbling whine of the the engine giving its all. It was lovely, lovely things. <laughs>
3: going purely on sound alone i think one of the highlights of this week was a video that came my way of a ferrari 250 gto which had just been rebuilt and they took it out on a test run out of london and down the m4 with just the sound of the uh, 250 gto going up, up and down through the box just absolutely chilling you know it just brought the hairs up on your. Back of your neck straight away, a glorious sound. I think this particular one they valued at fifty million
0: dollars. Cool. It's a musical instrument though, isn't it? So you get two things: that you get a nice car and a musical instrument, so a piece of art and a piece of music. Exactly. So
1: yeah, it's triple purpose. Value for money. At that stage, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, very good value.
0: And and a, a,
3: an even more reliable uh, wealth generator than Bitcoin. You know, there's thirty-seven <laughs> of them. It ain't never gonna go down
1: in value. If there's other content creators out there filming for our GTOs, I think we need to crack on with our plan for a Patreon, don't we?
0: <laughs> I, I definitely think so. If we did
2: that, we could afford the um, the car that's currently for sale in the states for a, I think it's about twenty million US dollars. It's a fairly clapped out Volvo V70, but perfectly Ooh. good cars. I'm sold. I would... yeah, thank yep. you. Very yeah, much. I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> yep. Perfectly good, very good, reliable workhorses. This one is uh, up for twenty million dollars, but it's not because because of the very very good car uh the number plate is what it's attached to and the number plate reads new york and so basically buy the plate get the car free for 20 million dollars oh, maybe terrible. if my name That's was new better.
0: york i'd be tempted <laughs> um
2: yeah. it's quite a cool vanity plate really but not 20 million dollars worth
1: in america i thought you you kept your plate so your your plate was yours no matter what car you own so you swapped your plate from car to car is that right
2: no i think when you re-register it if you register it in another state you basically get a, a new name new number new tag everything as far as i understand oh, okay could be it, wrong it doesn't work before. in the
0: same way that it does over here does it because the the u.s vanity plates aren't anything like as crazy in terms of how much they cost um, unless
2: they say new york on
0: them unless they say new york on them yeah I, I I want to spin back to some noise, and this is a video which we will also chuck up on the website. There's no point in me just saying this on the podcast, because you need to listen to it. But this is the um, BRM engine that's just been rebuilt, and they fired it up in a barn. There's a lovely bit of cinematography, and then just pure noise and fire. And this is a, uh, a V16 1.5 litre F1 engine, and God, does it sound good. Does that sound good? It, it is a stunning sound if it's possible to hear such a thing. So um, once you finish listening to us, go on to, to the website, go to UK Motor Talk and listen to this. And in fact, we'll we'll chuck it up all over the, the socials as well because you need to hear it and everyone should hear it because it's a gift to the world.
3: Well, apparently they are going to build three of them, uh, exact recreations, all and Hall. And uh, in period, the things were just so unreliable. Even when they appeared, they were sort of past their, their time. They appeared really as front-wheel-drive vehicles at the point where everybody else was going uh, to stick the engines in the in the back. But apparently that one, I, I saw that in, I think, 98 or 99 at Goodwood, with Froil and Gonzalez, who took it then to the Silverstone Classic the following weekend and launched that engine. So they've had to rebuild that engine from scratch. And Hall and Hall, who... Um, you know, if you, if you entrust a vehicle to Hall and Hall, it's spot on, exactly right. Uh, when Audi discovered the um, uh, Auto Union that had been uh, buried in a barn in East Germany for many many years, who did they entrust with the complete rebuild of that? And that's one of only, I think, three in the world. Uh, Hall and Hall. They did a superb job on it.
2: Is there any way we could perhaps uh, encourage Formula One engineers today to try and make their what to me sound like Dyson Hoovers sound <laughs> a bit more like a BRM v- uh, V16 or I can't remember the actual pattern? Is it an H16? Am I am I dreaming that? that was, basically,
3: wasn't that the van wall? They, that was the van tr- wall, sorry. They did an oh, H16. That never worked either.
2: No, no, there's something about that really, isn't there? Oh, wait, no, just a sort of to pick up my point, if there's some way that they could maybe either artificially or through engineering make the modern crop of Formula 1 cars sound more like those of yesteryear, and I'm thinking in terms of the, the amazing noise that the BRM makes, then uh, I'd I'd be all for that, and I'd probably watch more Formula 1, to be honest.
1: Yeah, there's there's something about the, the fact that uh, how long is the video? It's only about 15 seconds isn't it? Something like that.
0: It's not long and, yeah.
1: and it's an engine firing up, and you watch it again and again and again and again just to listen to it and and just feel it and there's there is something clearly missing from formula 1 these days in terms of noise it just doesn't you know it it should almost terrify you the noise that it makes but you know c- can you imagine ford releasing a video you know, firing up the new mustang mac e for the first time
0: click Electric cars kind of make the noise if you if you close one nostril and then hum.
1: What's that noise? That's the aircon compressor. And you know when when the car's fired up and the noisiest thing that's rumbling away is the aircon compressor. It's uh, it's not quite the same. Why is it? We, we are missing something.
0: We definitely are.
2: I was reading somewhere this week that Bernie Eccleston was saying in his um, completely unguarded and I don't care who I offend or what I say in one of his many rants he was having was that formula one should go back to v10 engines and uh, never mind all this energy recovery b- then uh, people would watch again and i have to say he, he makes a good point on that level if he's nothing probably else probably right most, on, that, on that level yeah. yeah most of the rest of what he says these days are the rantings of a lunatic but <laughs> i would agree with that one
1: but he has enough money that it kind of doesn't matter you know he's he, he can make whatever really pops into his head a reality yeah. Because he has the okay. money for it, so it it actually doesn't matter what he says at this point, does it?
2: Let him back Liberty Media. Let him back.
3: <laughs> he also reputedly has the finest collection of uh, Ferrari Formula One cars.
2: Doesn't surprise me.
3: All carefully hidden away there. Better than the than the the factory has apparently.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that doesn't surprise me. That's probably an end of the season. So we've got all that, got all the cars lined up in Park. For one for the teams, one for me, one for you, <laughs> two for me. One for you, all of the rest for me. Goodbye.
2: That's it. <laughs> Somewhere in a big hang around Biggin Hill, I should imagine, quite a lot of those huh? Not that I'm telling anyone to go and find them.
3: I believe that is the case. That's that certainly
1: is the rumour. We were going to talk about more exciting things.
0: There's a new Peugeot. <laughs> it's a 308, and it basically looks like the front end of it has melted in the sun or something. It's just drooped.
2: It does, doesn't it? It looks
1: like somebody does. sat on
2: it. Oh but that just it has to be said though, Peugeot do seem to have been rediscovering their design flair of late. The 508, for example, it's quite is quite a good very looking, very yeah? good looking car. Yeah, I would agree. As an estate as is often the case with big cars like that, it looks even better. And it's um, there's some very interesting stuff going on with them. I hope it isn't going to be diluted now that they're under the, um, the aegis of the massive great um, conglomerate that's Fiat and... Stellantis. And and got, Stellantis. Uh, Stellantis, that's it. That, that just sounds like a Greek shipping magnet to me. It's, <laughs> yeah.
1: It's, 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 Stellantis sounds like... Anything but a car company, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah
3: all their promos are being done by Jerry Anderson, I believe.
1: <laughs> yeah, I almost think the Stellantis could be the, um, uh, what was the, the company in Robocop that, that ran everything in the future? OCP. Omnicorp or something. OCP, yes. that was it. Omni Consumer Products. And, uh, you know, mm. Stellantis for a better way of living. Trust Stellantis for your consumer life is, yeah, it's it's quite scary sounding to be Time
0: honest. Time supply seems Stellantis for details. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got that, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Back to Peugeot, the 208, I think, or whatever it is. What is it called these days? Is it the 208 still? Not sure. But the small one, that's quite good looking, I think, for a, for a small... Small car with its little fang lights covering I just that's, that's quite a good-looking car. But then you're going to get into it, and it's going to have one of those ridiculously tiny steering wheels. Where if you're any kind of height at all, you won't be able to see the dials in front of you.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's a lovely thought. It's a, a Caterham-sized steering wheel, but without the Caterham driving position or the Caterham position of the dials, isn't it?
0: Mm, and some relatively numb steering to go with it. Gordon Murray's
2: um, eagerly awaited T50 the the son of McLaren F1 with its mm. big fan on the back and the three abreast seating and all the other things we've come to expect from the uh, engineer of choice who uh, we all love and respect. A man for whom compromise is uh, not in his dictionary. He's had its first shakedown this week up at uh, Dunn's Fold, where he's going to be building these things and um, even with the limited revs that he was running and all the bits hanging out of the dashboard and a lot of nervous engineers clutching laptops, it still managed to make a fantastic noise. It still managed to rev faster than he could think and he came out of it looking slightly more shaken than I've ever seen a man look. <laughs> it was very very impressive. It's on YouTube go and look it's um it's not a high speed thing by any stretch of the imagination but i think the fact that he managed to spin the wheels up even at the um the very low speeds he was doing bodes well for the future
1: that's uh, a good measure of horsepower isn't it was who said if uh, if you have enough power to leave two black lines from the exit of one corner to the braking area of the next corner then you have enough horsepower who was it who said that
2: Every Formula One driver,
3: <laughs> It rather sounds like Carroll Shelby is the sort of thing he said of the the 427 Cobra, wasn't it? Mm, mm. Something like that. He used to stick a hundred dollar bill on the screen for prospective customers to grab while he was accelerating. <laughs> <laughs> if they could, if if they could reach it, they got the hundred dollar bill, and nobody ever did because those things just accelerated so hard.
2: This thing's going to be on another level, isn't it? I mean, as I say, this is just the first go out of the box, and it's already doing stupid things. I think it's um, that's going to be something exciting to keep an eye on. I mean, I've always always had it in my uh, things I must keep an eye on this year, and um, that's just encouraged me to do it more so.
0: I feel a little bit sad. It might be a swan song. This I mean, it is really exciting that it's coming, but I just don't want it to be. That's not the of the end of an era. Really, is this this is the the, you know, the final gift to the world for, for internal combustion engines? Maybe I don't know.
3: Oh yeah, well, I think I think there's there's going to be more and more supercars in in extremely limited numbers for very rich people. I think uh, Gordon Murray has said this. Is on at two million or something of that sort of order of yeah. magnitude. All and sold. You were exactly, and most of the others that you hear about coming to market over the next two or three years are similar sorts of numbers. If you only make a few of them and make them at two, three, four million sterling dollars, whatever, you're going to do very nicely. If you, can, you know, it's going to be very, very low volume production for a very, very rich clientele. And that's the way it's going to be. And they will take those cars and play with them in countries who are a bit less concerned about the noise and about the fumes and about the this, that and the other.
2: I was watching something today, Doug Demuro, Everyone's favourite nasal American. Everyone's favourite geeky nasal American. Just add that to the mix. But uh, he is... Uh... He couldn't drive it, but he was showing off the new uh, Koenigsegg Gemera or Gemera. I'm not sure how you're supposed to pronounce it. It's Swedish for together or doing things together because it's their first four seater. And this thing has a three cylinder petrol engine that ju- on its own does 650 horsepower, but mm-hmm. it has electric motors to f- supply the other 1100 and it will do 0 to 60 in under two seconds. It's 1.9 so that thing's going to be interesting so you know yes we say goodbye to the uh, internal combustion engine but if you can get acceleration like that then you know it might
0: be a fair trade off so it's time for us to finish don't forget to check out our website at UKMotorTalk.co.uk our socials on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter we're at UKMotorTalk so from me Mike goodbye from me, Jim,
1: it's goodbye. Look after yourself.
0: From me, Graham, it's goodbye and good night and good
2: day. And from me, Dave, it's goodbye, good night, hello, good morning, wherever you are. Uh, who knows where you are in the world, but take care.
0: That's it. Good night. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.